our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Let's get inspired. Let's get inspired. We get to hold our phones. For the Girls Podcast. I'm Nick Westrate. I'm Jason Black. Um, this is a podcast about queer people who like women when they sing and when they act in movies and when they act on television, when they're funny, and who use that talent as a source of inspiration. Mm-hmm. 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 This is a podcast. Yeah. Inspiration is a big thing for me right now. I'm lacking in it. And so we're trying to get it and give it back. We're trying and to find it. We're trying to we're- find it. And so we interview people who give it to us, who have it from a female performing source. Also known yeah. as a diva. A diva. Yes. We give you just really cold takes. You go to the other podcast for hot takes about current pop culture. Don't come here for that shit. We're giving you cold, dead takes about things you forgot about. And then we're reminding you that they were fabulous and you need to go back and re-examine them. Yeah, but I'm into cold takes right now. I'm into anything cold. So uh, who is this podcast for? <laughs> um, this is a podcast for making out in the backseat of the car in the 1980s. This is a podcast for um, OG... Lady punks who aren't afraid of the germs. This is a podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast for all girl bands. This this is a podcast for people um, like me who are dying for the summer rains. This is a podcast for those days when you're feeling a little La Luna. <laughs> this is a podcast for gay sons. Because as you all know, I am a cat parent. I'm a mm-hmm. gunkle. But I'm first and foremost a gay son, <laughs> as we are. are. You are a gay son, as we all are. Uh, oh, okay, it's who just do we a have? Collection of d- gay sons today. Today we are so <laughs> excited. I'm to... a gay son, definitely. Yes, we, we, we are all we're, gay sons. We're welcoming iconic, iconic gay son David the Russell, <laughs> who is a music manager, and uh, he's a manager of. Um, People like uh, divas like Sia and Marina. Welcome, David. Hi, you guys. Thank you so Hi. much for having me on. This is oh. a really a dream come true moment for me. I love for the girls, and I I have been wanting to talk about this particular woman for such a long time. I'm such a fan, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Who are we talking about? Belinda Carlisle. Oh, go, go. I go. mean... <laughs> Go, go. I mean, go. Goodbye, guys. Um, I love that name, Belinda. I mean, I can't. Doesn't that sound like that sounds like a good witch's name? Belinda. Absolutely. That's what exactly what I was going to say. I feel like all the fairies in Sleeping Beauty are secretly named Belinda. Belinda. I mean, it's hot. It's so hot. But there's really only one Belinda. I was going to say, there's also no other like pop culture Belinda that really resonates in any era. She was named for her mother's favorite film, which was Johnny Belinda. So that classic. That's where, she, that's where the first name came from. Yeah, I haven't seen Johnny Belinda. Who's in Johnny Belinda? 
Johnny Belinda came out in like I think I want to say 1948, and I don't know exactly who starred in it. Um, Sounds like a Joan Crawford vehicle. I definitely did watch Johnny Belinda in high school with my friend Kayline because we were both big Belinda fans then. And I'm sure we turned it off after like 10 minutes. We were like, right, you Belinda, the... Belinda Carlisle's not in this. <laughs> you wanted the origin that badly. I love that. Exactly. Real quick, let's catch up with everyone since this is one of our rare current episodes that's yes. happening. Um, uh, we have a little thing coming up. Okay, so we just said that we are cold dead takes, but we are going to try to give you some hot takes on the show. I would... Are you talking about high fidelity? I yeah. feel like that that was that's cold takes, honestly. But <laughs> but it's as hot as the takes get around here. We are finally doing a real binge, David. We've been promising the children that we would do since this quarantine has started that we would like watch a sh- like binge a show and all yeah. talk about it together, and we'd tell them in advance so they could binge it, and then we just keep lying about it and watching shows that we hate and then not covering them. <laughs> But What's this the time, show that you're supposed to binge? What's the one? Well, we did it. Okay, this is what everyone needs to binge. <laughs> High Fidelity. Oh, it's yeah. on Hulu. It's called High Fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> David is not convinced. Have you watched it? It's no, about music, David. Yeah. It's about music. I, it's about music. I know. And it I stars know. two divas, Zoe Kravitz and Divine Joy Randolph. Love so, them both. We yes. mean it this time. We right. we right. we watched it. Jason and I have already recorded the episode. It's in the can. It's in the can. <laughs> it's in the can. It's coming to <laughs> you. Can't in take a it out of the weeks. can. So you guys enjoy that. What, Jay, how do you recommend the Battle Angels watch High Fidelity? All in one bite. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> one yeah. bite, a couple of meals. You know, I, get it, and, get it. Good. Any way they want. Any way they want. It's like a rom com. You know, don't put your thinking cap on too hard because we sure didn't. So no. take your thinking cap off and just enjoy it. How many episodes is Three, it, if you don't mind? Ten. You know? ten. ten. Half an they're, hour. And they're That's half the an best hour, thing. So half it's an quick. hour. Oh, okay. Yes. That's a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. It's yeah. quick. It's fun. It's I did beautiful it, like, people kissing. at a time. Whatever. Loads of gorgeous people kissing. I like it as kind of like an end of the evening. Like if you watch something really intense, you could palate cleanse with high fidelity. Mm. Or if you're like consuming oh. a bunch of news, you could watch a couple high fidelities and just kind That's of like good. chill out before you went to sleep. Yeah, I need an antidote to the Nivixum documentary I just oh, started. Oh, yeah. Oh, yay. Wow. How was it? Wow. It's well, so they good. Only put, it's nine episodes, but they only put one up, and the first episode was just mind-blowing. I can't wait. I've listened to, like, 17 podcasts about Nexium, and I'm still, it's amazing. Wait, how do you say it? Nexium. Nexium. Okay. For a long time when I was looking at it, all I could think was, like, Nivixum, Nivea... Mm-hmm. Noxema, like I could, yeah. Noxema Jackson, yeah, yeah Noxema no, Jackson. it's not any of those things. It's Nexium, and it's so scary, and it's run mm-hmm. by a really scary him who captures a bunch of television actresses and, and forms really a cult scary. with them. David, did you watch I Will Destroy You? Yes, we okay. haven't watched the final episode yet, oh, but we're shit. caught up until then. Okay. I know, That's and by the, I saw a tweet today that said something about pegging, so I'm mad that I saw that because yeah. apparently they're okay. Don't say anything. I'm but not going to yeah. say anything. I'm not going to say It's metaphorical. That's all I'm going to say. It's one of those metaphorical okay. peggings, okay? If a metaphorical peg. Well, I yeah. know exactly what you mean now. Metaphorical <laughs> pegging is the name of our next podcast. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to remind everyone is we have a Patreon. We have a Patreon, which means you can pay, pay us for this content. So you can go. We do bonus episodes on the Patreon. And Jay, what are we doing this week? A good oh. one. A good one. One of those good <laughs> ones. Babe. The, 
We're doing our first ever episode on the Golden Girls. Oh, yes, we are. So we do. We watch all of the gay episodes of the Golden Girls and we break them down for you. And I really think that the Golden Girls are the go-go's of modern day television. And that's called a segue. Okay, that's interesting. That's an interesting segue. Put on your thinking cap for that one. Okay. I put it on and I'm... Yeah, yeah, so we I'm... took our thinking caps off. We're putting them back on to get back right. into Belinda and the Go-Go's. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hi, David. Hi. Hi. Now, we're, now, Hi. now it's about you, babe. Now it's oh, about amazing. you. Okay. Where it's are you from? You. Give us give us some things. Where are you from? Give us some origins. Um, I'm from Enfield, Connecticut, which is a little tiny little town uh that was uh like 30 minutes north of hartford at the end of um, a field at the end not i mean sort of at the end of a field we were known our our cash crop in like the 1800s was tobacco so when i was in high school there was still a lot of tobacco fields and i picked tobacco for a living when i was for a living i mean for a summer salary when i was like 14 but did it's, you smoke it's, tobacco i smoked a lot of tobacco when i was 14 I, i've never smoked cigarettes no I was not a cigarette You're lucky. Don't do it, guys. It's hard to quit. No, (laughs) seriously. I mean, God. Um, But, yeah, Enfield, Connecticut, uh, you know, it was like a typical conservative, middle-class 80s suburb. Um, And we spent three years in Columbus, Georgia, from the time I was in second grade till fifth grade, because my dad moved there for work. He worked for, like, a jet engine company called Pratt & Whitney. Um, but it was really around that time when I was in second grade or so that I started to take an almost obsessive liking to pop music. And it was because of MTV. MTV had debuted a year earlier. I'm 44. And so I had, I literally grew up with MTV. And I remember when we moved to Columbus, Georgia, one of the first things we got was cable TV. And I mean, I can barely remember looking away from MTV from the time I was seven until I was 22. For real. Do you remember but, what and, the first video was that you saw? I It's hard to remember the very first video I saw, but the video I remember resonating the most with me originally was um, You Better Run, or yeah, You Better Run by Pat Benatar. Um, and, and then also like Rocket um, by Herbie Hancock, which won the video of the year, I think, the first VMAs. And the early, early Michael Jackson videos and like the cars and Cindy Lauper and of course the Go-Go's. Yeah. Cause the Go-Go's were, they were that first, the, um, uh, we got the beat. That was like one of the first huge videos of MTV, right? Yeah. I mean the album, I want to say, and I might have the timing off like a, by a couple months, but I believe beauty and the beat came out before MTV officially debuted. But I know that Our Lips Are Sealed, which was actually the first single and first video from the album, that was a, a, like a gigantic smash on MTV. And it was a babysitter of mine who was really kind of instrumental into me getting into the kind of music I still listen to today. Uh, this girl, Mary Jane Barber, who was really, really into the Go-Go's, Cyndi Lauper, Human League, and eventually Madonna. Did she and have the look? Did she do the look? She did. She had the 80s look of like a... Of like an eighties like girl who was into those kinds of things. Like she wasn't dressed as Cindy Lauper or the Go-Go's, but she had all the hallmarks of those moments, the big long earrings, heavy, heavy eyeshadow. Mm. She was just cool and pretty. And I think could tell that I was really into like pop music and gay pop things. And she really fostered that for me. She would always bring me like a record or a magazine. She'd come to babysit me. She had a big, huge influence. Can you hear? 
we just watched that fucking documentary. Mm. How excited were you that this I mean, was happening? Incredibly excited. You know, just to jump around a little bit, I had the opportunity to work with the Go Go's in two thousand one. Oh, boom! Yeah. Yeah. Laying it high. Yeah. Well, I, well, I just want I just babysitter wanna, like... to working with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm only saying that because you asked if I was excited. I mean, I when I worked with the Go Go's, I did so as their as a publicist for them on God Bless the Go Go's, which was a reunion record they did in yes. two thousand one, and. At the time, the big piece on the Go-Go's, whether it was press or pop culture or anything, was the behind the music. And even at the time, I was excited that it had been done because there had been so little coverage of the Go-Go's period since they'd broken up. But I was really disappointed that they didn't tell the truth of the band's history and how it really was a DIY story of like, five women coming together and doing it 100% on their own. They focused so much instead on the breakup and the drugs and stuff that had already been discussed. So when I found out that this documentary was starting to be made about two or three years ago and, you know, was told who was directing it and what the concept of it was going to be, as a fan, I was just so thrilled for them. And then to see it when it was done, I mean, I think it's one of the best rock documentaries I've ever seen. And I think what makes it especially unique is it reveals a story that lot, not a lot of people know about a band and a front woman who a lot of people know. So I right. thought that was, you know, it's like it, it wasn't necessarily rehashing a story. It was revealing a story. We talk about this a lot, how so many pop or rock or music documentaries, that's all they do is focus on the drugs or the problem. You know, like every Whitney Houston documentary is all right. about Bobby Brown. You know, right. it's never about her soaring vocal or how she like redefined pop music or the arrangements or how she would change the arrangements on every fucking time she would sing the song on tour. Like it, they never focus on anything positive. They just I think focus that's, on the downfall. I completely agree. And I think it's even more exacerbated when you're talking about a woman or a group of women. I thought I thought the doc I my only my problem with the documentary was I could have you I could have done a, a mini series doc on the go go's. Like mm-hmm. I could have done maybe like a whole hour and a half of just that beginning because it's so intense to be the only women in the room and around the world in the room. It wasn't just in the LA scene. It was in every scene. And I was like, Oh, just take me to Germany where they're playing in front of punks. I could do a whole episode on just that. There's so much history there. And you know, and in that history of the Go-Go's and in that history of the LA punk scene, if you branch out, there are other female bands that were operating before the Go-Go's. I'm not just talking about the Runaways. There's a bunch of bands from the early 70s that were working in the UK and in Los Angeles, but none of them had the trajectory that the Go-Go's ended up having. They all reached a certain level of presence in whatever circle they were operating in and never really blew up beyond that. I would argue the Runaways were much bigger after they broke up than they were at the height of their career, and that was a result of Joan Jett. But that wasn't the sake, uh, That wasn't the truth for the Go Go's. The Go Go's really rode the wave from five women who didn't really know what they were doing as musicians to making a number one album happen and cultural omnipresence happen. That's no one has done that before and no one has done it since. The, the creepy thing is that no one has done that since. And that's kind of a, such a heartbreaking thing for me. Like yeah. uh, getting into the go-go's and being like, this was, this was over 20 years ago. And it's it, over 30 years ago, over 30 years ago and hasn't, um, no one's been able to replicate an all woman band again. That's 
that's a lot. I remember being frustrated as a fan in college. Um, oh, I mean, no, I, I wasn't that young. A little older than college when like Spice Girls and All Saints and even Destiny's Child and these girl groups were coming out and they do like retrospectives on VH1 and they throw the go-go's in with girl groups, vocal groups, performance hmm. groups. Mm -hmm. right. And I thought, you know, there's a very significant difference, not to take away, by the way, from Spice Girls or any of the vocal female. I mean, I am a crazy Bananarama fan. I have a tattoo on my arm. They don't play their own instruments, you know. But I, I think with the Go-Go's, it was really, really important to differentiate that simply because it's so unique. It, they, I mean, the Bengals played their own instruments, and the Bengals are enormously talented, but the Bengals didn't write their hits. Right. And to be writing number one pop hits, you know, and to, and like you said with that documentary, that they taught themselves from the beginning how to play all those instruments yeah. and that kind of, that the punk, punk as a genre lent itself to something like that happening is kind of... It's kind of incredible to think about in a way that kind of um, commercialized, controlled pop music. Yes. Okay. I think also in the Go-Go's you have five very talented musicians, five women who within that group and then after the group as well, were given an opportunity to continue to grow as musicians, as artists. And I think that if you tried to have something like that emerge in, 2020 it would be really hard to follow through with that i also we i was watching i was watching the documentary with a friend and we were just we were just kind of gawking at the at the style choices that they were picking to be on stage and we were also kind of ah, lamenting about how in today's world that would have all been stylists picking it down to the most perfect degree um there's no that sense of freedom is kind of gone you know, and like I, the, when, yeah. when you get a group together, it's all picked together. You know what I mean? It's like stitched together by labels and. Thousand percent. That's my experience as well. And I think you can even see it in the Go-Go's documentary when the pressure was on for them to deliver something bigger than vacation with the album talk show, stylists started getting involved. And you can see in some of those photos that they run through some of the like fashion disasters of the 80s that a stylist had to come in and put on them what their idea of the Go-Go's was, which could never be as cool, iconic, or as influential as what the Go-Go's actually did themselves. I like Talk Show. What do you think about Talk Show? That was our, like, last Talk Show's my favorite Go-Go's album. Yay, because um, I was like, oh, am I trying to be, <laughs> um, you know, avant-garde by being no. into the album that people don't necessarily like? I don't think so. I mean, Beauty and the Bee is the classic for a million different reasons. It just, I mean, you know, it's the album with the songs on it, meaning we got the bee and our lips are sealed. Um, even Vacation has a bigger, more memorable singer, single on it than Talk Show does. But for some reason, I think the songwriting on Talk Show is the most interesting. I feel like the band really pushed themselves really hard on songs like Beneath the Blue Sky and Yes or No. They sound so tight. The harmonies are so beautiful. I think Belinda's talked about in her book and publicly that she didn't think she did amazing work on that record, but I actually completely disagree. I think she came into her own as a vocalist on a lot of the songs on that album. And I also really love the tightness of the production, the very new wave crisp sound that Martin Ruchent, who produced it, brought to that album. So what's yeah, your favorite cut? It. What's your favorite cut? Capture the light. Capture the light. I like Capture the Light. I liked Capture the Light the most when I was nine years old, when I had the album. And mm. 
I think because it's the fastest song on the album and it felt like the most rock tinged and not punky at all. It felt kind of like almost like a Stevie Nicks record in a way to me as a kid. And I think I liked that. I liked the idea of what eventually ended up happening with Belinda making these sort of Stevie Nicks style aggressive rock records. I, I feel like kind exactly. of witchy. I have yes. a whole yes. I have a right? whole theory that she that Belinda Carlisle she, is a secret Halloween diva. I think she's <laughs> chanting. I honestly, I mean, I know she has an album of legit chants, yeah. but like, I think she's chanting. I'm really into Forget the Day. Forget, oh, that, forget day. that day. Forget that day is gorgeous. Isn't, try, try and forget that day. I just find but it. Listen, so the Gogos have like the Gogos. You know, not for nothing. It takes a catalog of very strong, melodic, and lyrically interesting records to make its way from the punk scene of L.A. in 1981 to the Broadway stage of 2016. I mean, they had a Broadway musical that... Yeah. Was opened... Peppermint in that? Yes. 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 Peppermint was the star of that. How many times did you go? I went once, and, and I absolutely loved it. Because I live in L.A., so it was a pain in the ass to get to right, right, but, right. But I really, really enjoyed it and was shocked at how well these songs that started life as like three chord power punk, you know, ended up being orchestrated so beautifully and massively for the Broadway stage. It was really something else to see. Do they rework it? What was like the craziest reworking? The one that was reworked for me that felt like the sort of the most insane to hear on a Broadway stage was um, Vacation. Because Vacation is such a, I don't know, it's like a lighthearted, like, driving song. Oh, it's Where so is it? To the Where beach, driving the... to the beach. It totally Um, the Broadway show for me was very like, you know, it was like massive. It just felt when you see the Go-Go's live, I was going to say even now, I should say, especially now, they're better live now than they've ever been. It's such an incredible experience. But when you see them, it's such a tight rock sound 
that to hear a record like Vacation done as this sort of orchestral Broadway arranged belter moment is like, it's kind of mind blowing. song that initially I just sort of dismissed as like, you know, a sort of like ditty. this is just a little bop. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right and right. I think I think that's the mistake a lot of people, mostly men, have made about the Go-Go's over the past 40 years of their career. It's just been very dismissive. And with, I'm so thrilled. That right. It's not like that with this doc. I just want to continue with my Belinda being a Halloween diva theory. Yes, just just before I, I lose it. Um need a disguise Halloween Come song. On. Magic yes. Halloween song and circle in the sand. It's circle also in the a sand's magic witchy Halloween chant, moment. Chant I mean, a lot of that, I, first of all, I love all of those songs. I Need a Disguise is like one of my faves from the very first album, which was like, I mean, I can't tell you how the Belinda solo album influenced the way that I thought at the time and continue to think about uh, pop music and reinvention and re-emerging with a new album and a new feel and a new vibe because... The difference between the way Belinda was presented on the talk show album as the lead singer of the Go-Go's to the way she presented herself for her debut album was a complete 180. I mean, you know, I Need a Disguise is almost dance pop, something that mm-hmm. was so far away from what the Go-Go's were doing, not to mention the photo she did with Matthew Ralston for the cover of that album, Slim Down. I read somewhere, you know, they referred to her as aerobicized that she'd gone from the Go-Go's to becoming like an aerobicized Reagan era 80s pop star. Yeah, I think it could be a negative thing, but at the same time, it was an incredibly powerful image redo for me as a, as a kid. I need a disguise. 
So you were nine when talk show came out. How old were you when that image redo happened? And what did it do to you? 11. And I vividly remember my father, like, explaining that the woman in the Mad About You video was the same woman who was the lead singer of the Go-Go's. Because I didn't, I, it's like I couldn't make sense of that at that age. And then did you go and get the album? Yes. So I got an allowance when I was younger uh, every week of like $5. And I think it was up to like eight bucks. And back then, 45 inch, you know, seven inch singles were a buck a piece at Turtles Records and Tapes in Columbus, Georgia. So my dad would take me every weekend and I would spend my five bucks on, on records and I would always buy singles. Very rarely did I buy albums until I, until I had a little bit more money. But I bought, I bought the Mad About You 7-inch. It had to be within weeks of it coming out. And remember staring at the cover, just getting lost in the fantasy. You know, like there was something about the reinvention and the reemergence of her and my understanding in my mind that you could be this one thing, this very sort of like DIY, punky sort of, um, you know, non-fashion, even though it was very fashion, it wasn't sort of what I thought of. She looked like a Barbie doll on the cover of the Belinda album. So I just, that was my first connection to like image makeover, even before Madonna. Mad About You slaps. I mean, I love the like, whoa, that's the, this is a Belinda makeover, but I also have some sadness because of how much, watching that documentary, I was like, whoa, this is actually what human bodies should look like. Just like healthy, natural human bodies. And I was thinking how, again, something we don't see today are just that. It's like, you're either a normal body, which just means you have zero body fat, or you're the fat person, which just means you're extra fat. And that's the role yeah. you play. There's yes. there's no of the, there's, I was like, whoa, I, have, I don't see these bodies anymore. And they didn't let Belinda be that body. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I, and I mean... So Belinda put a book out, uh, I think a decade ago called Lips Unsealed. Mm-hmm. It's her, it's her biography. And, um, you can great also get title. it. A great title. And also you can get it on audible as well and listen to her read it, which is a really great experience too. She's just such a funny, she has such a, she's such a funny person and such a great sense of humor. So to hear her read her own life story adds a sort of intimacy to it. But wow. she talks in the book about, you know, it being 1986 and seeing the Papa Don't Preach video on MTV and thinking like, I need to be like that. I need to be, you know, which, which I think set a, set a template in motion, not just for Belinda, but for a lot of, if not all of the video, female video artists of the eighties and what they needed to look like and how they needed to present themselves. And so, yeah, while, while I appreciate from an aesthetic standpoint, how, you know, the makeover, uh, came to be in the public eye, definitely behind the scenes. If you read her book, you know, she speaks to- She struggles. Yeah, the torture that it is to be a female in the music industry. What year was physical? 84? No, physical was 1981. Okay, because that also seems like what kicked it all off, you know? Definitely, definitely. Like ONJ just being that perfect body and that idea of like exercise and aerobics. And now we have to do this to get a yeah. certain way. And I think and we've gotten the 70s, worse. We were like, Fuck it. But now we've gotten worse. I mean, you cannot, like you, you have to have CrossFit. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, oh, yeah. I know, yeah. We're just I like, we're think- gonna become air soon. Like in 10 years, we're just gonna be air bodies. The, the thing about when Madonna and Belinda and Janet and like Paula Abdul and all those the mm. women that sort of really blew up, not just the 80s, but also defined, I think, 
what the modern female dance pop artist sort of looks like and operates like. It all happened at a time when dance pop was becoming the dominant music force, meaning that music was made for like aerobics and dancing and people were doing remix albums and exercise videotapes. It was all that era. I mean, Cher did an exercise video. Jody Watley did an exercise video. Paula Abdul did an exercise video. Angela Lansbury did an exercise video. Yes, and, and which we covered I, on the Patreon, and you can listen to it for seven dollars a month. Go get it now. That's incredible. I did Thank not you. know that, and I pay the seven dollars a month. So oh, do that. you? Um, it's my favorite yeah. episode. Loki, that is legendary. But yeah, I I think it was it was like a, a perfect storm of video aerobics and music that was starting to reflect like the synergy that can happen when those two things are combined, and of course, mm-hmm. it all leaned heavily towards women. Right. And of course, it's like the 80s and like what? Uh, if you don't, if, if you guys don't remember, the 80s is where all the rampant, really crazy psychotic capitalism started. Yes. And that's what we were doing too. That's what's like women pop artists. That's yes. what they were put to as a form of Reaganism, you know? Yes. So, what and, you know, you th- oh, go ahead. No, go on. Well, I mean, we can talk more about Reagan economics. I'm I'm having fun. What do you want to say, David? <laughs> I wasn't going to say Reagan economics. I was going to say that I think, you know, another thing that gets forgotten or sort of washed away is that in the 80s, the racism against women in the music industry was also incredibly prevalent. And so whereas Belinda, I don't think, got her due, you know, for her solo work and, and how um, influential it was even at the time and how it's continued to be, there was really only one woman that was getting the kind of critical attention and mass, and that was Madonna. You know, you were mentioning Whitney earlier, like, yeah, even back then critics weren't, you know, commending Whitney Houston for her vocal arrangements that she did on all her records and every live performance. But no one was crediting Belinda with hers either. They were shooting on Belinda. They were, exactly. And so I think, you know, we live in a culture now where there's a lot of room for a lot of discourse and a lot of criticism and a lot of critical lauding. Back in the 80s, if you weren't Madonna, it was like, you know. Right. Like I would submit to the altar Cindy, though. I would submit to the Cindy. altar on that Cindy. I feel like Cindy was able to, I mean, she was always compared to Madonna, but I feel, but she also, she didn't really release that many records. People think that Cindy Lauper has a bunch of records. She doesn't. She has like four. That's a bit, and neither, and same thing with Belinda. They, yeah, not as prolific. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, what do you, what do you, what, what do you want from Belinda? Like, you're dogging for being a pop act? Why? At the time, it was seen as being lightweight compared to what the Go-Go's did. And I think a lot of people still think that because, again, the idea that you go from, like, playing your instruments, even though she was the vocalist, to then working with what people consider studio musicians, even though they were some of the most talented musicians working in music in the 80s. And, I mean, you know, not for nothing, Rick Knowles co-wrote everything and executive produced everything or nearly everything on heaven on earth and runaway horses. And those records are masterpieces. And Rick Knowles 
is currently and has currently done Lana Del Rey, Licky Lee, loads right. of artists. You know? and, and also Jane and Charlotte were working with her on her solo stuff too. Yes. So if you want to say it's like anti-Go-Go's, it's like you have three of the Go-Go's making this music. Yeah, it's lazy journalism. and, and I, I think, think it's misogynistic journalism, honestly. Yeah. I don't, I like, if you're a woman, no matter what, you're, I guess, are lightweight, which I think is the opposite of what Belinda's doing. I actually think, like we were saying, there's a witchy, mysterious darkness to so many of these songs. I, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like Madonna was dance froth. This is not yeah. Belinda to me. That's not yeah. how I listen to her. It's funny. I, I think of, you know, Madonna's like another gigantic diva of mine as I yeah think she is love love game. madonna yeah love madonna i i think the difference for me the palpable difference between madonna's records and belinda's records is that belinda's records are all songs they're all melodic song structures verse chorus bridge verse chorus. like madonna mm-hmm. was definitely way more experimental in terms of production a lot of her big singles could be considered dance records versus just like a, you know, if you pared down all the production from Vogue and you tried to just do it with a guitar, I don't know that it would have the same effect <laughs> is if you stripped back, you know, mad about want, you. All I'm dying for is that acoustic Vogue. <laughs> Vogue I mean, P.S. Vogue is phenomenal, but I mean, oh, you know, I, I'm a yeah, crazy shit. Madonna fan, but I'm just saying like, that's the difference. And it's always, it, that's why, it's futile to compare, but we're talking about it because at, at, at the time, the height of Belinda's career, the comparisons, I think, were more prevalent then than they are now. I think oh. it was really, they were pitted against one another without any sense of community and, and compared to one another as though one was so much better or more, um, more critically challenging than the other. Or as though fandom is mutually exclusive. Like, That's if it. I'm a Madonna girl, I can't be a Belinda girl. Or I have to pick between Madonna or Cindy. And it's like yeah. it's something that we're really trying to do on this podcast is be like... Because I was like that a lot with my fandom early in my life. And it's like, mm-hmm. no. It's like, like different people come at you with different things, you know? Completely. Completely. No, I, I think it's it's interesting. The what, One of the things I love about For the Girls is that... Every diva that you're talking about is getting the same platform. Every diva deserves their day is kind of how I look at this podcast. And so you run the gamut from the divas we've talked about, that everyone's talked about. Madonna, you have an episode about Madonna. There's a Britney episode, you know, these big um, cultural omnipresent, you know, superstars. But then there are the artists like Karen Carpenter and Belinda Carlisle who don't operate in the same pop culture sphere, but certainly have the same or similar kind of effect on their listeners, their fans and the artists that came after them. I think there's also something about because we get so few uh, uh, female musicians that we kind of feel like we have to ration off and then battle for them for the, for, for their rights. And I think that, that, you know, that's the man doing that to us and we're trying to free Mm -hmm. that. And be like, be like, no, everyone can be in the auditorium too. Okay, but I gotta say this. What I also love about Belinda is that she is an interpreter. I always say this on the podcast. I think we've gotten a real glut of having to be, of having to write your own stuff as pop as a pop act. And I think it's a mistake because I think there's just a kind of sameness to the sound. Like I'm, I love Madonna, but I don't think Madonna has to write every single song. I think she's a great interpreter. I think she's she has such a good ear. To, to yeah. music and to, and, mm-hmm. and I think so does Belinda. And I love that. 
Well, a great artist knows their strengths, right? And I think if you listen to Belinda's entire catalog, consistently she's chosen really beautiful, great melodic songs to record. And in fact, she'd say and has said that she, you know, there's nothing in her catalog that she doesn't stand by. And I think as you're allowed to gain more control in your career, as you're growing as an artist, if you choose to exert that control, it can sometimes be reflected positively or it can fuck you up and make you look as though you're ignoring other people's you know, best interests for you to follow your own instincts foolishly. And I don't think Belinda's ever done that. She's never gotten credit for the records that she's had a lot of, um, a lot of responsibility in creating, like her album Real that she put out in 1993. Oh, I just started getting into that. I talk love to this me. album. Give me a, yeah, talk to me. So, well, I mean, look, I love the, the albums that came before that as well. And I, I, she did, Belinda came out on IRS and then she moved to like the big leagues with MCA and Virgin. And on that label, she did Heaven, Heaven on Earth, which was gigantic. Runaway Horses, which was almost as big and was actually bigger in the rest of the world. And then Live Your Life, Be Free, which is probably, it's a, it's a personal favorite of mine. But mm -hmm. she followed up Live Your Life, Be Free, which was a sort of super produced album with Real, which she wrote almost every track on or co-wrote every track on um, and was produced by Ralph Shuckett with Charlotte and Tom Caffey. It was a very mm. small group of people working on that album, doing a lot of things that hadn't that were about to become sort of pretty um, standard in the industry long before people did. The main one being her use of loops and tracks and not samples, but like working to loops the way that Alanis Morissette ended up doing to huge success on Jagged Little Pill. Mm. Belinda was doing that, you know, a couple of years before on Real. And it's also a really strong collection of songs and it presents her again in a totally new light, not super produced, not overly styled, you know, instead stripped back where just the song and the vocals really stand out. And I think it's some of her best work. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Give us a hit. My favorite song on that album is Wrap My Arms, but overall I would have to say it's two real big scary animals, like the moment from that album. You keep talking, you try to kid, try to keep your feelings hid. And I'm a prisoner of the past, it's so hard to make a good thing last. We know history over and over when it's repeat. Hey, it's only me. No heart on my sleeve, no heart on my sleeve. Here we go. Some things are Didn't she write that? Yes. She helped yeah. write that? I know. Yeah. She, she knows it's her strengths. So good. She knows her And it was strengths. the first single and it did really well in the UK and across Europe and those kinds of mm -hmm. things. But at that point in America, you know, 1993, all you have to do is go back to, you know, and look at the Billboard Hot 100 from whatever week that song was released as a single. And it's mostly music that Belinda wasn't fitting into at that time. It's, you know, radio house music, R&B and hip hop starting to take over and then a lot of alternative. 
I feel like the cover for real is a real precursor to <laughs> Celine Dion's Falling Into You. Okay, although Celine's in a full face of makeup on the cover of Falling Into yeah, You. Yeah, and real, she doesn't have it. Yeah, but real. Still, she's like, being real. <laughs> this, like, white, this white top and those jeans yeah. and, like, the hands in the pockets. Like, that's kind of, the, like, the feel of it, you know? I was like, ooh, Celine. Again, this is, this not... real cover though is such a different look for Belinda. I'm looking at it right yes. now. Like it's so she. It's, I, I would be shocked if I was if this was coming out. In real okay, time. so yes, so and that's what's so exciting to remember as a as a fan is that you know I was already waiting for whatever new things Belinda was coming out with, and because there was no internet, you know, oftentimes these things would just appear, and I would be at a record store and I'd be like, oh my god, mm-hmm. like live your life, be free. I was at the mall with my friend Kayline and it was just there in the store. And we were like, oh my God, she has a new album out. We would go to the mall every week and there it was. With Real, I remember buying um, or looking at a Billboard magazine in a bookstore and flipping to the back cover. And it was an advertisement that Virgin had taken out for Belinda. And it was like, you you know, 15 million albums sold. It's about to get real. And it had that picture of her and it was just like, you know, I, and she doesn't get credit for her album covers, which I don't think really matter as much as, as they once did. But if you look at her album covers from Belinda through real, let's just start with Belinda, the OG sitting backwards on a chair, OG sitting backwards on a chair, define iconic like era defining Wait, position. Marilyn. I think it's Marilyn, right? That's an homage. It's Marilyn. That's it's Aunt Margaret. It's Aunt Margaret. And you know, Ugh. it's the it's the black bodysuit into the black pump. It's the like blonde bob, the perfect makeup, that bright pink background. It's so feminine. Yes. The font Ugh. is so feminine. And it's the girly, album girly, and the girly, album girly. is just called Belinda. You know, and like the good the first and the first single from that album is, in my opinion, it's not my favorite personal favorite, but I don't think Belinda has a better song than Mad About You, which is crazy. You think that, so that's your fave? Songs. That's your fave? That, yes. I, to me, it's a perfect pop song, right? It's perfect. Belinda's entire career for me can be summed up in the song and video for Mad About You. It is the quintessential California girl, and it is the ultimate California radio record of that era, no question. Just the way that song begins with the bum 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 bum. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. there's an anticipation from the word go with that song, and then it just explodes, and it's simply about romance.
video is all natural light at the Santa Monica Piers with her real life husband. I mean, it's just mythical. And as good as Heaven is a Place on Earth is, and I Get Weak, and Circle in the Sand, and my personal favorite, Summer Rain, and all those videos directed by geniuses like Diane Keaton, Keaton. and all those people. Yes. I mean, what a can you know, do. What a Miss Keaton what, do. Heaven on Earth. Heaven, heaven, heaven oh, I did know that. And, and, <laughs> and I Get Weak, which I also want to point out, another like Hug. minor moment of trend setting for Belinda that she doesn't get credit for is that Tony Ward, who went on to be Madonna's boyfriend and star in the Justify My Love video with her, is actually the male love interest in the I Get Weak video, which was like four years before Madonna ever even worked. Belinda called it first. But, but you know, I, I still think as great as all those videos and songs are, Mad About You, like, set the template for Belinda the way Hound Dog set the template for, like, Elvis Presley, or mm. it just really, like, came out of the gate so strong for me that... It, it defines her. Whoa, Lindsay My Buckingham other... wrote a song on, on here? Since, you, yeah. since you've gone, yep. wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Belinda. Since you've gone is such a gorgeous ballad. Give it a listen, it's really good. Is that one, yeah, was, what are the ballados for you? That's one of them? Yes, but Vision of You is the number one because it was written with Rick Knowles, who is, is one of my favorite songwriters and producers ever. He worked with Sia. They did a song together called Soon Will Be Found. I said earlier he's worked with Lana Del Rey. He wrote Sexual Lee Dadi by um, <laughs> Amber. I mean, the man is an absolute fucking genius, but Vision of You, it was a single from Runaway Horses. It's a perfect 80s adult contemporary ballad. Time moves a summer wind. I can see your face again Was it such a tragedy Being you, being me Smoke clears, the picture fades But I stay back in yesterday All the strangers come and go all of them will never know Nobody's touch feels like your touch Nobody gets to me that much Nobody's kiss moves me inside And I have no place left to hide Tell me what can I do I have a vision
was also covered by Leah Salonga on her first pop album that she put out. Yeah. For you Broadway queens. Yes, us Broadway queens. We love our Leah. Yeah, oh. and it's, it's on Spotify. Ooh. Um, I love Runaway Horses as an album. Can we I'm can we pause? I'm going to go listen to that. So I'm going to run and come back. <laughs> I'm going to go. Right. <laughs> Runaway um, Horses I'm, is a masterpiece, but yes. It's amazing. La Luna, as I said in the intro, I think is my favorite track. I the, curse La 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 Luna. Luna. <laughs> the Curse of La Luna. The Curse of La Luna. The Curse of La La Luna. I feel like she really enters her witchiness. She has such, um. there's an element. Her voice is so versatile. There's an element yes. that I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a Stevie tune. And then there's an element where I'm like, oh, gosh, I need Carly Rae Jepsen to do this. She yeah. like, she's or Madonna. Like she's she is so evocative of other singers in this way that mm-hmm. can make me just think she's so versatile in the kind of material that she actually put out. Mm-hmm. She, you know, Stevie, the stuff Stevie Nicks did with Rick Knowles, I actually really do love. Um, but he did this song. I can't wait with Stevie Nicks, which is kind of how he got with Belinda for uh, the Heaven is a Place on Earth album. I forget exactly the story of how they got together. Um, It's in her book, but basically he heard something in the music and performance of Stevie Nicks that he thought could work for Belinda too. And they do have a similar kind of voice. I'd say that what's really similar to me about their voices is that there's a, a real yearning in that vibrato, a passion and a desperation in the vibrato that they both have mm. that's really unique. And personally, I prefer the way Belinda uses hers because I, there's a, I don't know, there, she seems to be less in control in her moments of ecstasy, whether it's mm. an I get weak when she's like, I get weak, you know, like there's a certain like, tendency to throw her passion into her vocal that, again, she doesn't get the credit for. love that i love that's something i love about our diva bet midler is that i love that too an element i said her first no bitch Um, but i but i agreed right away (laughs) but there's an element of like oh i don't know if she's gonna make it through this number because it's so overwhelming her in a way that someone who they compare bet midler to barbara streisand you're like always know you're in safe hands right and i i think i think the fact that bet is seen the way seen similarly in in comparison to Barbara the way Belinda would be seen in comparison to a Madonna or a Whitney help inf- Ooh, helps inform it helps inform um, the way that we interpret that performance does that make sense like you know yes, it's like and that's what the I, SATs that's what the SATs should look like bet is to Barbara as Belinda Carlisle is to blank I agree. Thank I you. agree with you. That's a question that would I probably would have gotten into Yale had that question been on my SATs. <laughs> but I, I, you know, ultimately, the I, the thing that drew me to Belinda as a kid 
and like made her an instant fave of mine was that she didn't follow trends. And I don't think like, not to make this a Belinda Bet thing, but you brought Bette Midler up. Like, I don't think that Midler followed trends. Like, you know, Belinda could have gone and made a dance record with whoever, you know what I mean? Like she could have done what any of those other artists in the eighties did and completely switched the style that she was doing and, and stop writing melodic pop rec- or singing melodic pop records and start doing more dance oriented records. But she didn't do that. She stayed true to herself and didn't pander to trends. And I really liked that because I, I saw a lot of artists around her pandering to trends and failing. And mm. I think you could say the same for Bet as to Barbara or any of the other big, big voices of that era, like Melissa Manchester or, you know, or Sheena Easton, people that were sort of Barbara light, you know, Sheena managed to turn herself into a bona fide pop star for the eighties and early nineties, but Melissa Manchester didn't. And, yeah. and Laura Branigan kind of didn't either. Like she had a couple yeah. hits, but you know, it's not deep easy, cuts. Man. These are deep cuts, deep cuts. Yeah. Let's deep cut this right now. Uh, goodbye again. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go listen to the records and I'm leaving. Um, when, so, okay. When was the first time you saw the, your diva? I saw Belinda Carlisle live on the runaway horses tour runaway live in 1990 at Lang compounds in Connecticut. It was a, a it's a theme park. Um, Who were you I, with? I, I was with your babysitter. My, no, I was with, who did I go see Belinda with on that front? It must have been my father. My <gasps> father took me to a lot of concerts. Dad. Yeah. Dad. Yeah. yeah, mom and dad. But dad took me to Belinda, I think. I'm pretty, yeah, pretty sure. Cool, dad. But I, I remember being like so entranced. You know, we had terrible seats because we had no money growing up. So I never had front row or anything like that. We were like as far back as you could get. But I remember she had a big harp on stage and a woman who played it. And, like, and also a... Um, she had like things that at the time seemed incredibly fancy to me, like a live bass player and a cello. You know, there was this beautiful cellist for what? a lot of her songs. And I remember at the time thinking it was so much more sophisticated and elegant than what any of her contemporaries were doing. And then of course, a few short months later, I saw the Blonde Ambition tour and I was like, <laughs> but, yeah. but um but the runaway the runaway live tour was the first time i saw her got to see her sing live and i mean it was really really exciting for me and then oh. what now we're going to go to the, the second time and then the third time and then the fourth <laughs> time so buckle in kids no, how many times have you seen yeah. her live well so when i started working with the go-go's in 2000 2001 it was really just for a two-year period and it was all around god bless the go-go's and the tour press around all of that and i became friendly with all of them um but belinda and i just really did hit it off the very first day we met she came we were doing a photo shoot for us weekly and all the other women had were there um and belinda was living in france at the time and so she had i met her on the day of the shoot instead of, I had met all the other women beforehand. And I was nervous. I was waiting for her to arrive. And, you know, they say, don't meet your idols. And I was like- I'm, We say that. I, I felt panicked to, to meet her because also I was young. I was um, 24 at the time and I was a publicist and I was just starting to work at that level. Like I'd been only doing tour press and doing like press for like Radiohead and the Foo Fighters and bands that I didn't listen to. And so 
when they gave me an opportunity to go work with the Go-Go's, I really needed to like make this happen. And I wanted Belinda to like me, you know? Yeah. And so she, she came in and I was introduced to her immediately. And she was like, Oh, nice to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. And I let her go do her thing, get hair and makeup. And then as we were just standing, I just, I can't believe I did this, but I, I continue to do this now having worked in the music industry for like 22 years. I introduced myself to her as a fan. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. that can backfire on you if you're in a professional position. But if you're a real fan who really knows the artist catalog and really appreciates the music and can speak to what they do well and passionately, I thought in my head at the time, like, she's going to want to know that I think she's so incredibly talented and that I'm so lucky to work with her. So that's what I told her. And she was like, thank you so much. And I was like, and I just want to tell you, like, Runaway Horses is one of the seminal albums of my life. And she was like, ah, I knew you had taste. And I was like, that's it. That's oh, it. Oh, wow. But, and it, and it happened very organically and naturally. And I kept it totally professional until we were no longer working together. And then it just grew into a very normal friendship. And we've been very, very close friends now for 20 years. Wow. So I've seen her live. 50 times, more than 50 times. Fuck. Have you, do you find that your fandom changed at all as you got to know her? Like, did your relationship to the music change? My, so that, so the only thing that changed was the made up ideas you get in your head about people before you know them. Like I, you know, before I knew her, I didn't know her as a person. So she was always the Belinda Carlisle I knew from MTV. Now I know her as a person and love her as a friend and appreciate her for those things. So I don't have a made up fantasy about her in my head anymore. But if anything, I enjoy her music and her videos more now than I ever did and listen to her music as much, if not more now than I ever did. And my husband and my friends would be a testament to that because I'm constantly listening to her. She's made some of my very favorite she's made the soundtrack of my life i mean oh. a lot of it accompanying my childhood and teen years but quite a bit of it particularly her album voila you know being the soundtrack to my life as an adult so it, it shades the the fantasy that i think you know for like my my madonna fandom or my janet jackson fandom still certainly exists in a place of like you know can i be your best friend will you take me on tour like you know all those kinds of fantasies. Whereas with Belinda, it's like, I, I think of her in two ways, you know, one is a good friend and the other one is like this incredible artist who has a catalog of music that I can't imagine my life without. And that, um, wow. the God bless the go-go's I had never heard. It's sick. It's it. They talk about not chasing trends. This was 2001 and mm -hmm. I, I love it. I mean, I seven. Yeah. Tell, name another band that can put out an album 17 years after their previous one and well, sound tighter, more exciting, uh, more inspired. Belinda's and... voice is a fun fire and she's able to get sync back into the band sound of it. It's, mm -hmm. it, I was like, whoa, Belinda, like mm -hmm. you're able to genre jump right now into this and sound so, so natural. Yes. Like, By the way, all, all of them. Because if you go and you, I mean, I know this is about Belinda, but also I just want to say like, you know, Jane Weedland made some very, um, uh, like, disparate style records as a solo artist in the 80s. You know, Gina Shock made a solo or a, a group album with her band House of Shock that was diametrically opposed to the music the Go-Go's were doing. Charlotte Cathy worked on the songs Foolish Game for Jewel. I mean, things that are so 
out of the Go-Go's wheelhouse. And then for them to come back as women at the time in their 40s and 50s, sounding as strong and as powerful and as punk as ever, it was a, an absolute dream come true to work on that with album. Those, I with mean, those Kate Gosling haircuts. I... <laughs> Okay. Got, you, I mean, I was just gagged when I saw that. I was like, this, this early aughts hair was just look, so much. I, hey, you know, the. To each our own, I'm going to do that after I get this quarantine <laughs> Me too. thing cut Me off. Too. Like, like, we're all going to. totally going to get chunky highlights. But, and, you, uh, but you, you know yes. how, But for real, you know how like bands come back? I mean, I think I put this off because I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna bad gag at this. Like, naturally, not, not for anyone, but for everyone that kind of does this resurgence you know and like kind of comes back and usually it's like a sellout this is not a sellout this is not this is a full-blown right up there with all of their other albums i was shook if i really love unforgiven the billy is amazing but the billy Billy joel Joel armstrong Armstrong co-wrote that yeah so okay i would put that forward but what else would you put forward on from that album throw me a curve which is i think throw me a curve is the best song on the album for a number of reasons. One, it's it's just Gina Shock's drumming. That fucking, she is just the most powerful percussionist. She beats the shit out of those drums. When people talk about amazing drummers, like I don't, I can't even listen to their opinion if Gina Shock isn't in the mix. And I think "Throw Me a Curve," "La La Land," "Apology," uh, "Stuck in My Car," all those songs really um, show the breadth of that entire band. "Throw Me a Curve," I like especially because lyrically it speaks to female bodies and appreciating them for what they really are instead of trying to be a stick figure you know, uh, mm. candy cane with a lollipop. Head. And that was one of Belinda's. Yes, was it was. Belinda added, added on that. I think written at the same time or right around the time she posed for the cover of Playboy at 40 years old. Iconic which at the time was unprecedented. Shoot. So Iconic. beautiful. So Thailand. beautiful. Also, just to say yeah. thing about Gina, mm. I was watching her drumming at the end of the documentary and I just wanted to be like, okay, they're older. And she is ripping still at the... It's, this was a year ago and she is still... As if nothing changed. I, I, I was, again, shooketh by this band and mm-hmm. their capacity to still be. Uh, and that's the kind of magic that you, uh, you just can't replicate. I want, I want them to never break up because I want to always be able to celebrate these women and what they do better than almost anybody live on stage. The great thing about Belinda is that she does have both worlds that she can dabble in. You know, 
unfortunately this year she had to cancel it because of COVID, but she had a series of dates at the Carlisle. It was going to be Belinda Carlisle at the Carlisle in New York. Oh no! Perfect. Oh, well, now you now you can go next year because it's been rescheduled for next June. Fingers, um, fingers crossed. That and June I mean, is you know, next year. <laughs> you know what other? Not even Debbie Harry, I think, can run the gamut vocally of you know doing songs like "Fun with Ropes" and "Johnny, Are You Queer" from the super super early punk days to you know a Vecla Tom with a cellist and a piano player at the Carlisle. I'm the sorry. Other, like that's yeah. I the only other person that comes to mind who with that kind of range is like Annie Lennox to me. You yes, know? that's a great comparison and one that no one ever makes with Belinda. And Annie is a is another like sort of under unsung legend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's a really good call because Annie went from Eurythmics yeah. to this breathtaking solo career as a chanteuse. Yeah, and, up to this, and now you hear like nostalgia and yeah, like yeah. what she's able to do is just like a, a vocalist. Yes, very exactly. Raw. Yep, that's a really good point. And I love I that Belinda has taken chances as she's grown as an artist and as a person and not continued to make um, pop records for the sake of making pop records. You know, making a record like Voila produced by John Reynolds, by the way, who did the, Sinead, the best Sinead O'Connor albums and with mm. Brian Eno, Eno. I mean... That's that in and of itself is interesting. Then you go and hear the album and it's fabulous. And then Wilder Shores, which, you know, reflects where she really is in her life and isn't just, you know, I mean, Madonna was really into yoga, of course, but this is not Shanti Ashtangi. This is a woman really living her life and singing about what what her real present is. Also, did you love how everyone was like um how everyone was like oh i'm going to leave the country when trump when trump got elected she's like the she's like a real true expat what she was in in france for 20 years she's in, in thailand. thailand now she's in thailand i'm like i kind she's of live for that yeah. well she's just like i want to live my life and i, I oh oh talk, talk about live your life be free please i want to live my life be free i want to i want to talk cuz this used to be my morning song mm, when i was down yes. i would wake up and be like yeah. okay i'm going to put this on but here's how i think live your life be free should be played it should be played at around like like okay i don't know how long the kids stay out but however long the kids stay out it should be right at the point where they are drunk but still very happy surprise them with live your life be free and okay. i don't you just see that moment like in a oh. In, in just a, and just shirts yes. come off and it's just and then they're hugging each other like still at that good point in the club or at the very last song in the club when they're trying to shut down and there's just still the people who are actually dancing and that song is just such a celebration of openness and the production on it is so clear Very happy now. You seem very down. 
You said Gorgeous. that was your, okay. Can you talk to me about I that? Love, was your so, favorite album, right? Or, uh, it's yeah. I mean, they that, all live are, your life. But... Live, they all are. I mean, Runaway Horses is my number one, but okay. Live Your Life Be Free holds a special spot because Live Your Life Be Free, Live Your Life Be Free was not that successful in America. Belinda was pregnant when it came out, and she actually performs Live Your Life Be Free live on Arsenio Hall. Pregnant, you can watch it Damn. on um, mm. on YouTube. She sounds phenomenal. It's crazy, but anyway. Have either of you spent a lot of time in the UK? Have you ever been to like gay clubs? And like, okay, so yeah. Belinda continued to be a gigantic chart presence in the UK <laughs> on Live Your Life Be Free. And Live Your Life Be Free, the song, is the biggest hit from that album and is still a giant pride anthem. And so in America, when I first realized that Belinda was something that other gay men were into, I came out really young. I came out when I was 15. And then I went to college for musical theater in Philadelphia. Um, and one of the first gay prides I went to in Philly was that like the June of 1995. And I remember the parade going by and like Live Your Life Be Free had come out like four years before to like one hand clap and it was mine in America. Like I swear to God. <laughs> and coming down South Street in Philadelphia on this float where all these drag queens and live your life be free was blaring. And I remember like that, I remember thinking like, this is where she lives now. Like mm. the people with taste appreciate this, like gay people, of course, like, and I, and honestly, again, like pre Madonna, like it was the kind of first time I made the connection between the specificity of these divas and how they resonate with gay men and how, even though they might not be number one on the billboard chart, these songs, mean something to this audience that got on board with Belinda way back when, whenever. And so I think Live Your Life Be Free, like you said, it's such an anthem. It's, it, you know, there's remixes that came out, I think in the late nineties, there were bootleg remixes that became gigantic on the dance charts in the UK. Um, that song continues to have a huge life in Europe. And I mean, my husband and I went to see Belinda last October in Manchester on the 30th anniversary tour of Runaway Horses. And after she did the entire album, she went right into Ooh. Live Your Life Be Free. And I mean, I'm telling you, it felt like the entire arena was gonna crumble. Uh, it was wow. insane. That brings tears yeah. to my eye. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh. Okay, wait, now I need to take it. I'm gonna take it back to album covers because we have not really talked about mm -hmm. the biggest hit. And I wanna talk about the album cover for Heaven on Earth because if we think of the title Heaven on Earth and then we look at this album cover. <laughs> Let me pull it up. I'm pulling it up like, too. 
She's laying on this bed and she's like, God, I think you those are steps, baby. Those are steps. Are they steps? I know because like I will lay on a step. A you know, window, I will. And she's letting the angels just look down on no, her. No, I think she's laying on some steps that go to the library of heaven. That's my take. Okay, well, <laughs> What's your take, I, David? I, my take, there's, I have a couple takes on this. So I have this amazing 30th anniversary vinyl box set. Oh, that's a different um, cover, but those are but right, definitely I, steps. But I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull up the the actual album cover now because it's got five huge vinyls in here. So, whoa. whoa, I like that it's a stairway to heaven vibe. Who said that? Oh, I Jason yeah, did. Jason Jason yeah. said it. I said it was a bed, and she's like, "Hey God, look at me." But if this was a bed, I don't want to sit on it because it looks lumpy as fuck. I like a firm bed. I like a firm stone step to sleep. <laughs> At the time, you know, at the time as a kid, I can remember like comparing this to the Belinda cover and thinking like, okay, she's basically wearing kind of the same outfit, but now she's dyed her hair red and it's a little more mysterious, a little more witchy, like you said, a little more like she's in like a big room, you know, like it's very like goddess-like versus the Belinda Mm. cover, which was very like, you know, girl next door. But one thing I do want to point out if I can find it. Oh, damn. Diane Warren, did I get weak? Fuck. Yeah. That's such a hit. Diane Warren, did I get weak? And she did World Without You, which is also amazing on that album. Where is this picture that I... Well, if you look at the Belinda album, the Belinda Carlisle Heaven on Earth album cover, it's pretty obvious that she's wearing... She's not wearing a deep V uh, shirt. She's wearing a regular black, like, up to her neck shirt. And they airbrushed in the deep V. Oh my gosh, because it doesn't match her face. It doesn't, right. It's it's not, and there's a picture of her, it might be on the cover of one of her singles, um, where you can, where they didn't airbrush it out. It's the same outfit, same everything, but it's up to her neck. And I always want to point that out to people, and now I can't find the photo. And now you have, huh? Now you have. Look, you've done you've done the goddesses work. Bye. Here it is. I found it. Here it is. Here it is. So see, like that's a scoop neck, not a. Go down a little bit. Show us down a little bit. This is some good podcast content, (gasps) kids. Oh yeah, this is a yeah. Podcasting is a visual medium. Right. Yeah, that is a that's a not a V neck. Should we spend another ten minutes talking about things people can't see? Okay. Let's talk about my muscles for a minute. (laughs) Right, exactly. I was literally gonna say let we can move on to my biceps now. But the song, like, where, when did you first hear this song? I mean, this is, it's amazing to me that at this point in her career, she comes out with what is one of the biggest pop hits. Of all ever. time, of yeah, all time. Ever. All fucking I don't, time. I don't remember where I first heard it, but I'll tell you that the singles from Heaven on Earth were big roller skating songs for me. I was yes. a huge roller skating queen mm. as a kid. My cousins and I lived two blocks from a roller skating rink called World Skate Center in Enfield, Connecticut. And they would play music videos on a big video screen 
while you skated around in circles. And I Fabulous. vividly remember the videos for Heaven on Earth, Heaven is a Place on Earth, I Get Weak, Circle in the Sand, and the live video for I Feel Free playing constantly while I was at that roller rink. And that's really when like Belinda was operating in the same sphere as Madonna, Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson, and Gloria Estefan, like the biggest women in music in 1987. You turn on the radio and, and they're, they're, they're going to be there Constantly. within the hour that you're listening Constantly. to. Not right. just radio too. Like Belinda was on MTV, VH1, The Tonight Show. It was constant. She, she was, was ubiquitous. the battle angels who listen to this are young they're babies and they're really i know and i'm hoping that the i'm hoping the battle angels are interested enough to go and explore belinda's formidable catalog on uh spotify it's all there you know it's all every, there they're going to is there and i'm, I'm hoping that eventually um you know all the incredible work that uh demon music in the uk has done with her catalog because there are remastered and expanded physical editions of every one of her albums uh, that are really worth investigating. I'm hoping that those will eventually make their way to streaming because there's so many hidden gems within Belinda's catalog, B-sides, alternate takes, demos, incredible remixes. Give us a hidden gem that we can find on Spotify. What's Uh, What's a deep cut that you think the kids should hit? I think a deep cut the kids should hit is the song... California on her album, A Woman and a Man. Um, It features Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys on backing vocals. And it's in the vein of Circle in the Sand in that sort of apocalyptic California. um, uh, Who produced Walking in the Sand? Remember Walking in the Sand? Like that, you know, that sort of like, it's got that dreary, sad, mysterious California beach vibe to it. I remember I was in the tanning salon When I heard that river Phoenix was gone They say that I'm with a good die young But that ain't true where I come from California California It took a
that's really perfect good. for right really now in good. California. Yes. Since y'all are really doing the apocalypse right out there right now. And, and I have, yes. now I have one more question. And then one more question. What would you, so we know that um, the Go-Go's are, they were going to have a tour, I think. They were on tour? Tour next year, apparently. Tour yeah, next year, tour appar- next year apparently. Yeah. Carlisle, the Carlisle. But what would you like, what would you, what would be, so after her chanting album, um, that she came out with in uh, 2017 yeah. for the good yeah. vibes. She said she want if we listen to it, she's going to trick us in, <laughs> with the pop uh, you know, so orchestrations yes. and the chanter. What would you want her next thing? What would you want her next album to be? If you could, I mean, pick go. She could go anywhere. In a fantasy, fantasy, um, yes, fantasy. In a fantasy world, I would love Belinda to make an album along the lines of the ones that Marianne Faithful made in the late 90s and early 2000s, where modern modern um, uh, rock, pop, whatever genre artists create songs for her as their muse. Ten solid songs created by people like, you know, uh, The Killers and mm. Deb Hines and, um, you know, some uh, Tame Impala, some sort of California punk bands, uh, you know, Casey Musgraves. Like, these are just fantasy names. And I, I realize, you know, look, we, we work in an industry where, you know, making a record like that happen re- ha- requires a ton of money and a ton of interest and all that kind of stuff. And frankly, Belinda's career is so sky high and phenomenal. She never needs to commit anything to tape again if she doesn't want to. But in a fantasy world, I'd like to see her interpret songs that people who are passionate about her voice and her talent and who have been influenced by her create. Because I think that as influential as her work in the Go-Go's was and as amazing as her big 80s and early 90s pop anthems are, she found her true voice and talent as a singer in like 2005, 2006, 2007 when she started working on Voila. I don't think her voice has ever Mm -hmm. been as good as it is now. I mean, you can tune into her um instagram channel and she's always doing these saturday serenades where she does like a classic from her catalog or different drum by linda ronstadt or superstar (gasps) by the carpenters and she truly has never sounded better fabulous oh we're huge different drum stands on this podcast she belinda covered different drum on tour for years and years and years wow and she also has uh covered long long time i'm hoping that she'll release that someday but yeah and oh, she's just fabulous. an extraordinary singer. So, I mean, I'd love to hear her sing. I'd love to hear Belinda do the Rodgers and Hammerstein, you know, songbook. I, I think she has would such you an like incredible her to, voice. Would you like her to do three standards albums with Nelson Riddle right in a row, like Linda did? <laughs> I. What about I, this? I, Belinda I, Country. What about Belinda Country? Belinda does country. Not, <laughs> like Tina. Tina I'm, does not, I'm not opposed to that, but to be honest yeah. with you, like, I... I think Belinda's music already has a countryish lilt to mm-hmm. it. You know, her mm-hmm. songs are stories and they're mm-hmm. melodic. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I'd rather hear Belinda do something that is completely unexpected, like a, an album of show tunes, but not done in a show tune style, like maybe piano only to really showcase mm. her voice. You know, imagine her doing Ribbons Down My Back with that yearning <gasps> and that, you know, why not? Sure. I've never said any of that to her, by the way. Maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when she listens to this, she's going to hear it. Listen, yeah. David, you've been absolutely fabulous. You're amazing. Will you come back? Yeah, I know. Return. Yes. Will you be a tr- will you be an, uh, return for us? Oh Please. You're on record. You You're on record. Well, Send I'm this well to Belinda if you don't agree. Big and small, by the way. Like, I've got oh. a lot of... 
a lot of ladies that need a lot of love and I've got You said Marianne Faithful and I've been wanting to do I've been faithful. like plotting a Marianne Faithful episode for a and long Marianne time. And Marianne is such an exciting artist because really uh, it's a similar trajectory almost backwards with Belinda in that Marianne started as this sort of very like presentable feminine kind of pop star that had a great, you know, beautiful poppy version of As Tears Go By chart in the UK cut to 10 years later and she's making broken English and she's all fucked up and drugged up like a punk. I mean, yeah. that's a career. All right. looks like we're setting this. We're setting this in stone. <laughs> and once you set it on a podcast, you can't go back. I, you can't I go back. That is it's, a rule. It's all legally You know binding. contracts. You know you contracts. That's that a contract. We, we yeah. sign, yeah. I'm a lawyer. Thing, yeah. I'm a diva that lawyer. Thing. David, what song we're should we go out? Lawyers. We're both diva lawyers. We've been diva lawyers. Yes. What should we, what song what should should we, we go out on? Yeah. Let's go out with Summer Rain. Yes! Yes! And we'll, because we're finishing up Sad Girl Summer here, ready to go into yes. Sad Girl Fall. Listen to the Good Witch Belinda, everybody. And I mean, these, these words, oh my love, it's you that I dream of. Oh my love, since that day, somewhere in my heart, I'm always dancing with you in the summer. It's rain. crazy. Her voice oh, and the songs are such earworms. <laughs> like, I, I can't, sometimes I can't hear people. I can hear her indelible uh, voice and yes. and orchestrations yes. out there. Like I said, it's I so, all right. Uh, you were everyone beautiful. listening, thank you guys dance. so much. Thank you, thank you. Dance thank as you. we go out to the summer rain. Thank you yes. so much for sharing your love with us. Of course. Listen I'll to Belinda. I love you. Bye, Battle Angels. Bye. come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too that's the beauty of noom they build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions medical issues and other personal needs so your plan works for you noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection you don't have to give up carbs or anything 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.